Just kind of give you a little background. Pastor, uh, his, his last name is Ha Cobois, so I've been practicing that. It's Kennedy Ha Cobois. He's uh, a pastor at New Missions Church. He's married, has four children. Um, I was given the opportunity by the Lord to go to uh, Zambia in 2011 or 12 and went with Mark, my son, and at that time we were sponsoring, not we, but AVOH was sponsoring Pastor Kennedy in the uh, seminary there where they, we, they sponsor like uh, 10 or 12, 15 pastors every year. Uh, and, and Pastor Kennedy was one of those. He must have been about in his mid 40s when he decided to go to full-time ministry, and so he was going to the seminary there. And, um, you know, we met at that time. Since then, he, uh, he, he first started working with AVOH after the seminary, um, mentoring some um, orphans that were, uh, you know, at a rescue house that uh, African Vision of Hope, Hope sponsored. So he and his wife would, would mentor these. There was a boy section and a girl section that they would uh, spend time mentoring with. Since then, he has become the program director of African Vision of Hope. And um, that uh, what he oversees now at the ministry is five schools, 3,500 students, we have, uh, there's 45 college students that he interacts with. There's four rescue homes with about 135 orphans in, and they all uh, are kind of uh, overseeing, you know, there's about 130 people in different roles, uh, students, I mean, uh, administrators and teachers and uh, just a whole lot of different uh, occupations over there watching over these children and they they all work for uh, program director uh, Pastor Kennedy so that's just a little background on you know where where he what he does for African Vision of Hope and uh, you know we're very happy to have him here today to uh, to be bringing the message Pastor Kennedy thank you thank you so much for this privilege to come and worship uh, with this wonderful church. Um, I really appreciate uh, the privilege that uh, you have given me to come and stand uh, before you today. I do greet all of you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul has already uh, given an introduction of me, so I will not go into uh, introducing myself again, but uh, I will ask that uh, we open our Bibles uh, we open our Bibles from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 24. So you, <clears throat> we are going to read from verse 1 uh, for the sake of context. But uh, 
my message really is centered on verses 5 and 6 in the book of Acts chapter 24. <clears throat> Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with a profound gratitude. But in order not to worry you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even he tried to discredit the temple. So we say to him, by examining him yourself, you will be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are brief bringing against you. Let us pray. Eternal, everlasting God in heaven, we are so thankful, Lord, for this privilege to hear your word. Thank you, dear Father, for the reading of your word. And I do now ask that, Lord, let your Holy Spirit, O oh God, help me even as I stand before your people. I refuse, O oh God, to speak by myself. I refuse, Lord, to speak that which is of me, but that you yourself, Lord, you speak through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like what I said, that uh, I'm going to zero in on uh, verses five and uh, six. But before I go further, I, I would love to speak just uh, briefly about African vision of hope. What is the vision of African vision of hope? The vision of African vision of hope is for every child in Zambia to be released from extreme poverty and be equipped so that they can fulfill the purpose that God has for their lives. 
So as African vision of hope, we do believe there is nobody who comes on earth by chance, by accident, or by mistake. But that every individual person is created in the image and the likeness of God. So these children who are living in poverty, who are orphans, who are vulnerable, they never chose, they never applied to be born from parents who would die and leave them young. And as African Vision of Hope, we do believe that God has a plan for each and every one of these children. Uh, African Vision of Hope is a Christian organization. So what we mean by Christian organization, an organization does not become a Christian organization just by putting the name Christian. It doesn't make an organization become Christian. It is the people who are Christians who make the organization to be a Christian organization. And uh, as a Christian organization, what do we do? Number one, we are committed to bringing immediate and lasting solutions to children and families living in extreme poverty. So how do we do it? Number one, we provide opportunities to be educated. That is why you heard Paul, he says, uh, currently we have five schools and by the grace of God, next year we may add another one. So these schools, African vision of as African vision of hope, we don't just wake up today and say we want to put up a school. It's because we are providing opportunities for children who are orphans and vulnerable to be educated. Number two, we want to see that these children grow up healthy. And in growing up healthy, number one, we provide food to all these children, recognizing that they come from impoverished families. If you got an opportunity to hear these children, the testimonies, some of these children, the food they eat at school is the only meal of the day. I know it doesn't happen like that in America. And maybe some of you who have never had an opportunity to go to Africa, to come to Zambia, some of you may be even thinking, maybe these are just stories which are just exaggerated to, so that we can have sympathy for people to give to this organization. But I'm telling you that these, for people who have gone, they have heard these testimonies from children who say, this is the only meal that I have for a day. When they go home, they have completely nothing to eat. In our, 
in our effort to see that these children grow up healthy, the other thing we do is to make sure that we provide medical facilities. I'm sure some of you may have taken part in donating maybe some medical kits. We, we have a nurse uh, who actually makes sure that these children, we give them medication uh, so that they are healthy. The third thing we do is to make sure that we see that we develop leadership and economic skills. And in developing leadership and economic skills, number one, we have committed ourselves to sponsoring because we want Christian leaders. So as African Vision of Hope, we are sponsoring uh, seminary students like myself, who was sponsored by African Vision of Hope, because we'd like to see Christian leaders. We, those who have done well in the secondary high school, we also sponsor them to go into colleges and uh, universities where they pursue uh, different kinds of uh, disciplines. The last thing, uh, that we do, we want to make sure that these children, they learn about the love of God. You may not understand how important this is, learning about the love of God. As I said, these children, they never applied, they never chose to be born from parents who would die and leave them young. They never chose. And many of them, they struggle. When you're going to tell them God loves you, they have questions about this God, whom we are saying this God loves you. How can a God who loves me allow me to be an orphan? Where is the love of God? So these children are going to struggle. And this is the reason why uh, we teach them, we help them to know about the love of God. And this love of God that we are talking about, this is the love we see here, which made Paul a prisoner is because of the love of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, the Bible tells us the love of God compels us. So the love of God compels us. When it, the Bible says compelling us, it simply means we have no choice. We are compelled. We must go out. We must share this love of God so that people will get to know. People will get to hear about this love of God. 
So, brothers and sisters, this morning, uh, I just want us to quickly go through what God has presented to me today, as, uh, which I'm bringing to you today, uh, as we share the love of God in our lives. And that this love that God has given us, we must share it. This love that God has shown us, we must show it to the others. As we see here, my message, I entitled it, Criticized for Christ. We see Paul, who was compelled by the love of God, he went all over to preach nothing but the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And because he went out to preach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, he ended up in trouble. As you see when you look at verse 1, the Bible says, five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. These were believers. The Bible says Ananias was a high priest. He went with some of the elders. They hired a prosecutor, a lawyer. And this lawyer they hired, the name of Tertullus, we see he brought these charges before Felix, accusing Paul. Now, in the New King's, King James Version, this is what the Bible says. For we have found this man a pestilent fellow. A pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to profane the temple. And so we say to him. Now, when you look at these charges, as I said, Tertullus was a professional lawyer. He was a prosecutor. And for those who are lawyers, those who are prosecutors, when they go in court, they have only one purpose, to secure a conviction. There's nothing less than securing a conviction. And when you see how this lawyer presented these cases, there were four charges which they brought. Number one, they said he's a pestilent fellow. Number two, he is a mover of sedition among all the Jews in the world. Number three, they accused him that he was a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarene. 
And lastly, they accused him that he endeavored to pollute or profane the temple. So as you can see, when you closely examine these charges, it's like there was no room for Paul to escape. If one charge was going to be dropped, you know, he was going to, he was going to be caught in another one. In an event that all the three charges are dropped, he was also going to be found with a case from among his fellow believers, his own Christians, his fellow Christians that he wanted to discredit the temple of God. So as we go, number one, I said he's a pestilent fellow. Now when you look at pestilent, it comes from the word pestilence. And in the Bible, pestilence, it simply means it refers to a disease. Pestilence refers to a disease that spreads quickly, causing many deaths. So that is pestilence. That's the word pestilent. So pestilent simply means, number one, often causing death. Very harmful. So this is what they were saying. This man is deadly. His teaching is corrupting morals. Is very harmful, destroying peace. This man is annoying. This man is a troublemaker. He is a plague. When you go and read Acts chapter 17, verse 6, the Bible tells us that there was a protest. And when there was a protest, they said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too. They have followed us. They have caused the world. They have turned the world upside down. Now they have come here. I love it as I was reading and studying. A pestilent fellow, like what I said, pestilence simply means a sickness or a disease that spreads quickly and causing many deaths. And Paul was truly, because of the message, the gospel that he had, this gospel message, it is deadly to the sinners because it destroys the sin. And they were right because the gospel of Jesus Christ when it is preached, it brings discomfort to the lives of people. And the people were uncomfortable. And I, I was just asking myself, it was a very good accusation. I wish all of us, we could be accused 
like Paul, that we are pestilent fellows in a good way because we are spreading the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you being criticized? Have you ever been criticized? Because of the gospel? Are people seeing your Christian life? Are you living your Christian life? Because if you are living your Christian life, people are supposed to criticize you. But many times, because people, we are concerned, we want to be accepted. That's why the Bible tells us and warns us that we should not be conformed to the world, but we must be transformed. The Phillips translation says, do not allow the world to put you in its mode. And many of us, as believers, as Christians, we have allowed the systems of this world to put us in their own mode, to transform us so that there is no difference in our working place. There is no difference wherever we are. People cannot recognize us as people of God. Number two, he was charged with a case where they said he was a mover of sedition. Now sedition is overt conduct such as speech or organization that it tends toward rebellion against the established order. So as I said, you see, uh, this lawyer, was a, he was a professional prosecutor. And this charge, I can tell you, I believe even in the, state, in, in the United States here, if you are charged with sedition and you are proved and prosecuted in the courts of law, it attracts a jail sentence of not less than 20 years if you are spared from execution. Because all you are doing, you are bringing rebellion. You want people to rise up against the leadership. So this is what they accused Paul. Now one thing we must bear in mind is that the, the people who were accusing Paul were not outsiders. They were believers. They were, these were believers. These were Jewish Christians. And many times, one thing that I've realized, you know, Satan in the church, he will use your fellow Christian to discourage you 
to bring you down. Why? Because it's going to trouble you. It's going to pain you. When your fellow member of the church goes out and begins to fabricate false information about you. And even David said it in the Psalms. He says, if it were another person, I would have understood. But you, the person I go with into the sanctuary, the house of the Lord, you are the one today who has risen up against me. So we see that Paul was charged. He was criticized. For what? For the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever been criticized because of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? We must stand up for the gospel, brothers and sisters. God is counting on you and me. God is counting on you and me. The pastor read for us in the book of Ezekiel. He has reminded us about the Great Commission. And God is saying, when those people perish, their blood will be upon us. There's one passage that changed my perception and which intensified and rekindled my zeal right within me to preach the gospel. When I was reading the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 16, you are going to encounter the story of the rich man and Lazarus. When you go to read that story, one thing that we can safely conclude is that the dead, they see and they speak to each other. Why? Because the Bible tells us that the rich man, where he was being tormented, when he lifted up his eyes, he saw Lazarus sitting right at the feet of Abraham. And the rich man, they started to speak. He was pleading with, with, with Lazarus. So, you know, that scripture when I read it, and took a moment to meditate and think about it. I am a pastor. I'm not only a pastor, I'm a Christian. You are a Christian before you become a pastor. These titles don't mean anything, but what is important is first to be born again, is to be saved. That is what counts in the eyes of God. 
Number one is to be saved. So as a, as, a, as a Christian and as a pastor, I think about that day when all these, my neighbors, my workmates, who know me as a pastor, who know me as a Christian, but what I do, instead of Helping them, I criticize them. I condemn them. Oh, let them alone. They are going to die in their sins. But God is counting on you. God is counting on me. If you don't do it, who is going to do it? I've heard people complain, oh no, our church is not growing. I'll move and go to another church. The reason the church is not growing is you. You are the problem. How many people have you reached out with the gospel? If you don't do it, we're supposed to do it. Our God is a good God, and God can never ever tell us to do something that we cannot do. When God says, go and preach the good news to the poor, he knows we can do it. But today, we want to leave that job to the pastor, and the leaders. It's not scriptural. It's not biblical. All we want is to find a way of being people who are not living according to what God desires us to live. Thirdly, this man Paul was charged with another case of being a ringleader of the sect and this they called the sect of the Nazarene. This word does not appear anywhere else in the New Testament. It is a proper military word, and it describes one who stands first in an army, a standard bearer, a leader, a commander. This implies that Paul, this implies that Paul had been so active and prominent in preaching the gospel that he had been leading in establishing what they called a sect. Look at his defense. I love Paul. When you read the whole chapter of 24, when he begins his uh, when he begins his defense in verse 10, he was not apologetic. He was not apologetic to say, oh no, brothers, okay, I repent from today. Please forgive me. I was wrong. No. Uh, you can go and read his defense in your own time from verses 10. But let's look at verse 14 
to uh, 16. This is what he said. However, or maybe verse 13, let me begin from verse 13. He says, and they cannot prove to you the, charge, the charges they are now making against me. Verse 14, however, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way which they call a sect. I admit I'm not refusing, but I admit I worship the living God. He was not ashamed to testify. He was not ashamed to speak of his faith. Even in the midst of intense criticisms, which actually meant even death, he was able to stand. Why? Because he was compelled by the love of God. The love of God compelled him. Number four, he endeavored to pollute and profane the temple. So this charge was meant to create hatred for Paul among his fellow Christians. As I said, when you look at these charges, the people who were bringing these charges, they were not outsiders. What I mean by outsiders, they were not people who were not saved, but these were people who were Christians. They are Jewish Christians. Brothers and sisters, we are called to stand and share the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We should not be ashamed to be called the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. We should not be ashamed to be called followers of Jesus of Nazareth. Are you ashamed of Jesus Christ? Are you ashamed to speak of Jesus Christ? Somebody told me there are three fears that all of us here we are afraid of. Number one, the fear of people. Oh, because we are afraid of people, we compromise. Because we are afraid of people, we keep quiet. We cannot speak the truth. The second fear is the fear of failure. Some people have become workaholics because they are afraid of failure. And the third one is the fear of rejection. 
because we are afraid of being rejected, we conform to this grouping, we join this group because we are afraid we don't want to be rejected, we want to be part of them. And our Lord Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 9, verse 26, he said, whoever, whoever is ashamed of me, I will also be ashamed of him before my father. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul declared, we are not ashamed of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? He did not say because the gospel has power. But as the Bible says, the gospel itself, the whole gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So how can we be ashamed? You see, brothers and sisters, it is us who underrate ourselves. God has entrusted unto us. Think about it. The devastation of COVID-19 in this entire world. And just imagine, you are the only person who knows the cure and the prevention of the spread of COVID-19. And all you do, you sit and say, okay, let them die. They are all going to perish and finish. Are you doing good to humanity? So it's the same way. You and me have been given the gospel. When you are saved, when you are born again, you are given a trade. And the trade that God gives each and every one of us who are Christians and believers is to go and make disciples of all nations. You know, I get amazed with the, the Muslims. Even at the airport, they keep times of prayer. When it is time, they are not ashamed. They will get a mat and begin to pray right there, even at the airport. How many Christians have you ever seen? How many Christians? And yet they worship a, an idol. It's not even a god. It's an idol. Because Muhammad, they worship, does not speak. He's dead. If we go today, we'll find his grave. But Jesus, when the women went in the morning, they found the angels and they told him, he's not here. He's risen. Yet these people who worship a dead God, they are not ashamed of this worship God, this dead God. We who worship a living God, 
we are afraid to be known that we are believers. We are afraid to be known, to be identified as children of the most living, high and living God. We are afraid to speak about our religion because our religion deals with men who are devoid of spiritual character. Men who are unholy in life. And our religion aims to make bad men into good men. That is our religion. And yet, we are ashamed to speak of our religion. As I conclude, number one, I want to ask a question. Are you living for Christ? Answer it yourself. Answer that question yourself. Ask yourself, am I living for Christ? If I am living for Christ, what can I show that I'm living for Christ? Back home in Zambia, we thank God that you don't have such Christians here in America. But back home in Zambia, we have Christians, I have, I have called wheelbarrow Christians. Do you know a wheelbarrow? Wheelbarrow, you know a wheelbarrow? Yes, we thank God that in America, in American churches, we don't have wheelbarrow Christians. But in Zambia, we have wheelbarrow Christians. And these are Christians whereby every day they wanted to be dragged. They want to be pushed. Because a wheelbarrow, if you don't push it where you left it yesterday, it will be there. We thank God that in America you don't have Christians who wanted to be pushed every day. And those are the Christians who give problems to the church. Some of them, they are even leaders in committees and they speak so well in committees, they know everything, but they are never available. You know, in leadership, you, find, you encounter such people. We thank God, Pastor, you don't have such leaders here. But in Zambia, such leaders are so common. Sometimes when you have a, a leadership meeting, deliberately they will not choose, they will choose not to come. So that they criticize the decisions you made. Okay? The reason for, their not, for them not attending your meeting is they want to come and criticize your resolutions. So they say, now, this is all that you could come up with. You couldn't come up with something better. So, are you a Christian? Are people being affected and infected by your faith? Is your faith affecting anybody? 
And are you infecting somebody? Because you are a pestilent Christian. So you are supposed to infect people. You are supposed to infect people. So are you, how many people are you infect, have you infected so far? Are you courageous with your faith? Or are you trying to be a nice Christian? Wanting to be accepted by everyone? I will challenge each and every one of us. I believe we all pray. And in your praying, when you are praying, you as a member of Providence Church, when you pray for your spiritual life, what is your prayer? What do you pray that God should do with you, by you, and through you in this church? Do you pray that God should use you? How do you, what, what do you pray? Do you pray that God should use you to reach out to others? He should use you in the life of this congregation. Are our neighbors, your neighbors, are your family members, workmates, all the other people who come in contact with you, will they bring an accusation against you that day? That you were a selfish Christian? You were a self-centered Christian? You were a self-gratifying Christian? Our Lord Jesus Christ summarized the Ten Commandments into two. The first five, because they all concern God, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. Then the other five commandments, of the Ten Commandments, they affect man. And Jesus said, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. So, what love are you showing to your neighbors? And of course, some people, some, some people when you talk about neighbors, they think about the people they, who live nearby. But our Lord Jesus Christ 
when he told us the story of a good Samaritan, he says, every person. You know that in the churches, in, the, in our churches, we have so many people who are not saved. And we assume everybody is saved. We think everybody who goes to church is saved until you speak to them. Then that's when you will know that this person, after all, they are not saved. Because some people don't understand what it means and how one can be saved. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 8, verses 9 and 10. The Bible tells us the only way how you can be saved. I don't know of another. The only way you can be saved, according to Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, number one is to do what? To confess with your own mouth. Jesus Christ is Lord. Salvation cannot be inherited. Salvation cannot be passed on to your children, to your wife, to your husband. If you confess with your own mouth, Jesus is Lord. And believe with your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you are saved. Full stop. Believing is important because we must know beyond reasonable doubt, we must know that Jesus Christ is truly alive. If you are still doubting whether Jesus Christ is alive, then you are not yet saved. You cannot be saved. Because the Bible says, the mouth, you know, I love these two, that, that passage, because it actually brings out, it describes who you are and who I am. That you are two. You are flesh and you are spirit. So the mouth represents the flesh. While the heart, when we talk about the heart, we are not talking about the physical heart. So the heart represents the, your spirit man. Because salvation affects your entire being. It's not, only this, it's not only the spirit. So that's why it's important. Brothers and sisters, when you want to live for Jesus Christ, you will be criticized. When you want to live for Jesus Christ, some people will call you crazy. Some people will say he's not normal. Some people will try to slow you down. They will simply say, no, just be a good Christian. What is wrong? 
But remember, we have been called. And God is counting on you. You know, I always tell my family, I always tell my family that the only person who knows that there is somebody praying for you is you yourself. You are the only person who knows that there is somebody who is praying for you. And that person who is praying for you is you yourself. And so if you don't take time to pray, to ask God's grace to abound towards you and upon you, I tell them I am a pastor. But in my pastoral, I also have a lot of issues. First of all, I have to pray for myself before I think about you. I'm the first priority. You are not the first priority. When I go to God, I'm the first priority. You, you come second. My wife comes second. She's not a priority. I'm not being selfish. Because what God, for me to pray right, I must put things right with God. So when I go to God, it's me first and you second. And that will depend if I'll have enough time. <laughs> okay? If I don't have time, you are less assured that I will not pray for you. So I tell my family, don't assume that our father, I tell my wife, never assume that my husband will pray for me. Because it depends if I have time. If I don't have time, it's okay, it's tomorrow. So the only person in this church who knows that there is somebody praying for this church is you yourself. Don't assume, no, there is elder so and so. No, it's your responsibility. And I always say, if you are not praying for me, you should be the last person to criticize me. Why? Because Jesus said, watch and pray. So what you are seeing in my life, if it's not right, what are you doing? Are you praying for me? Or you are criticizing me? So if there is something wrong in this church, and you never pray for the pastor, you never pray for the elders, I've, I've heard people, yeah, today, the service, the church service today, it, it was so dull, it was cold today. Okay, the message was just cold. Did you pray for your pastor? If you didn't, you know, I tell people, you know, sometimes as Christians, you, you put so much pressure upon us as pastors. I tell people back home, when I become a pastor, I don't begin to produce angels. I produce human beings. So what your children go through, my children will go through the same. Okay, my children will go through the same. But the person who is, the child who is going to be criticized more is the child of a pastor. What do I have to do? Because I'm a pastor, 
Now I have started producing angels. They are human beings. They have the same feelings like your children. The same devil who is tempting your children is tempting my children. So when my children begin to misbehave, don't you criticize, oh, look at the children's pastor. No, look at the children's pastor. No, they are human beings. I don't produce angels. So brothers and sisters, I would encourage you, let us stand up like Paul. Let us stand up like Paul. We are going to testify. We are not going to be intimidated. Let us rise up. God is counting on you. If you don't preach, nobody will preach. No one will preach. If you don't pray for this church, for the leadership of this church, nobody is going to pray. If you don't pray for this nation, nobody will pray. All you'll be doing is complaining. It was the Republicans, now it will be the Democrats. <laughs> but what are you doing? Are you praying for, the, for them? Or we simply say, okay, now these are just the evil people. We don't even know where they are driving us to. It simply means we are surrendering our nation to Satan. In short, we are simply saying, okay, Satan, you are free to take over. But we must put our foot down and say, we refuse. We reject the involvement of Satan in this church, in our community, in our nation. Let us pray. Eternal, everlasting God, we are so thankful that, Lord, you created us in your own image. That, God, you made us for yourself. That, God, you raised us up at this time, in this generation, and in this country for a purpose. We refuse, O oh Lord, to think it's a chance. We refuse to think it's a mistake or it's an accident. Because even Father, you never make a mistake. There is, no an accident, there is no accident with you. And so, eternal God, we thank you for the love you have demonstrated to us by sending us your one and only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. You have loved us with an everlasting love. Whilst we were still sinners, you loved us in our sinful nature. And you gave your Son, Jesus Christ, to come and die for us. That Heavenly Father, by his crucifixion on the cross, by the shedding of that blood on the cross, we be redeemed, we be forgiven our sins.
that, oh God, you have imputed upon us the perfect righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that, Father, we are justified in your sight before you. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father, for giving us eternal life. Yes, Lord Jesus Christ, that day you prayed your last prayer in John chapter 17 when you said, Father, my prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Lord Jesus Christ, you said, you prayed, Heavenly Father, as you have sent me, so also I send them to the world. Thank you, Lord, for counting us worthy. Thank you, Lord, for trusting and believing in us. And help us, grant us the grace, O oh Lord, to preach the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Eternal Father, I pray for each and every individual person who is here today. Lord, may your grace abound towards and upon each and every one of them. I pray, eternal God, for the leadership of this church. Lord, I pray for each and every member of this church that, O oh God, you will use them in your own vineyard. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, we pray with thanksgiving in our hearts. Amen. Amen.